He's kind of like the Joe Rogan of the hospitality industry right now. What's up, Slick Talkers? This is a special episode on Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast, where you are going to hear some extra voices in this interview because this episode was actually broadcasted on my morning show, Good Morning Hospitality, with my co-hosts, Michael Golden and Brandy Canale. Now, we did this episode a couple weeks back with Sam Shank, the founder of Hotel Tonight. We covered a story of serial entrepreneurship, going through really tough decisions and building a company and a startup through his acquisition with Airbnb and going public and what that was like to be there with them. So this was a very special episode. We're putting it on Slick Talk as we're gearing up for some more interviews and, of course, conference season here on the podcast. And so we hope you enjoy this episode. If you don't already follow Good Morning Hospitality or any of our other shows in hospitality.fm, please do. We would love to have you a part of our network and our community. But I'm just thankful that you're here on Slick Talk. I hope you enjoy this episode as we hear Sam's story of entrepreneurship. It's a great one and a great example for our industry. So I hope you enjoy and we'll see you on the other side. What's up, Slick Talkers? I want to do Dynamic Duo sponsorship placements for our partners. And the best Dynamic Duos I could put together for you are our first one of Hostfully and Minute. Now, you probably heard our Minute with Minute segment with Nathan Smith over at Minute. If I could say Minute a thousand times, then I will. But basically, if you are using Hostfully's property management platform, then you can go to their integration marketplace and turn on your integration with Minute. So that way, everything is operating seamlessly in your hub to run your business without any issues and headaches. It just is so nice to have proper integration partners together. And I couldn't be more thankful for these two partnering with us on the podcast. So make sure you check out the show notes because we have special offers just for you from both companies, Hostfully and Minute, because you're a listener of the podcast and they love taking care of our listeners. So Check out the links in the show notes. And of course, like always, thank you for tuning into the podcast. Good morning, Sam. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me on, everyone. Yeah, of course. Thanks for taking the time and an early West Coast morning for you. Right yeah, early. Right I like it. I like it. Your very first live podcast, too, right? That's absolutely right. I've done a lot of live TV and a lot of podcasts, but never the, the combo. So it's to be here. Not Nothing compares to live TV, so it's uh, no no pressure <laughs> at all. But we we do want to get into a lot today. We've got you know from how you started to times through acquisition and all of that, and then what you see in the future of travel. But if you don't mind jumping jumping right into it, I heard when you graduated college, you were an aspiring movie producer. How do you go from an aspiring movie producer to a hospitality tech icon? Well, it, uh, I wanted to be a movie, like a big budget movie director, um, like James Cameron or Spielberg. And those were my, my idols and got a job in Hollywood and sort of networked my way into working for uh, Wes Craven on this movie that ended up being called Scream, uh, that, uh, turned into a big hit. That was a lot of fun to work on. Um, and I, uh, I'm in the credits, fun fact on that one, right. um, but, um, but got a lot of laundry moved. I mailed a lot of boxes, but actually just realized that Hollywood wasn't as entrepreneurial as I had thought it was. So I came up then to Northern California because I also love technology and started working in the tech industry and realized pretty quickly that starting a company was going to scratch the same itch that I was looking to scratch with being a movie director. It's 
coming up with a product and a vision for bringing something to the market that people would love, building a team around that, you know, having a compelling vision for that team and leading them to greatness. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to build the skills I need over the next 10 years or so to then be able to start a company. And then I started two companies uh, in travel, uh, combining my interest in technology with my interest in travel um, that were not terribly successful. But then I learned a lot that then led to Hotel Panay. I was going to say, I heard in a similar kind of Michael situation, heard in another podcast that you, when you built Hotel Tonight, which apparently took 10 weeks, which is incredible. I would love to know how you built that so fast. Uh, but you were one of the first three bookings, or actually you were all three of your first three bookings. As a founder and builder of the company, what was it like to experience it on the traveler side? I'm very curious to know how many tweaks and notes did you take that you wanted to fix or change or all the iterations of the the app that you built? Yeah, I mean, it was a, a very intense 10 weeks way. We, it was kind of a necessity that we had to do that because we only had about 150 grand. We, uh, that would lead to just a handful of months of, of runway, uh, to be able to prove this, to then be able to then go and raise some more money to keep going. Um, and we, uh, had done a lot of prepping, but by the time we started, you know, wrote the first line of code to when it was in the app store was 10 weeks. Um, and it was of course very intense, um, to say the least, but also I look back on that as one of the you know, greatest and happiest times of my life. Cause we were building something and it was so fun and there was massive iteration. So yes, the first official three bookings were done by myself and that was <laughs> done on. Uh, on, on a, a video that we did with TechCrunch uh, with Sarah Lacey and Paul Carr, where we walked around and booked a bunch of hotel rooms and three hotel rooms, I guess. And, um, but the, but before that I had done probably, you know, 500 bookings, um, to test the software and iterate and, you know, continue to, to make it better and improve it. Um, and, uh, but it, it was like pretty amazing to, to book the hotel room and then walk in and the reservation was there. That was uh, I was like, wow, this, this actually works after all that hard work. At, yeah. at the time, was it a lot of the integration work or what was, what was the biggest lift or, or challenge for you guys to, to start scaling it? Yeah, the big, and what attracted me to hotel tonight was, well, you know, the hotel industry for sure was, was interesting and boutique hotels. And what was really trailblazing though, uh, for an interesting thus for me was mobile commerce, um, and trying to figure out mobile commerce. So the hardest pieces were the app and making that transactional. Um, we were one of the first customers of Raintree. Um, so using, um, card on file and say payment uh, credentials, getting the agreement set up with the credit card processor was really hard. Then getting the user interface, right. So that it was magical. That it was three taps. It was under 10 seconds to do the transaction and do the processing. We actually didn't do any integrations um, at all. And that's one of the shortcuts and why we were able to launch in 10 weeks. So we launched um, on the hotel side without an extranet. So we would call the hotels every day and say, hey, it's us again. Uh, do you have any hotel rooms that you want to sell? Uh, and what do wow. you want to price them for? And then um, when we get a reservation, we had a fax, fax system, an electronic fax setup. So we tapped into that. I was actually the state of the art and sometimes still is the state of the art for delivering a reservation, to an independent hotel. You'd also call the hotel and say, Hey, it's us. We have a reservation. They're like, who are you? Is this a prank call? But, um, if you watch that TechCrunch video, I don't know if it's still online or not, but if it, if it is, 
then you'll see in one of the scenes, um, I walk into the hotel and the front desk is actually on the phone with um, my co-founder receiving the reservation. So I had to sort of explain how we're just validating that the reservation went through. But, uh, it all worked. <laughs> yeah, I, um, you're talking about a couple industries there that are notoriously kind of advert, like against change, payment processing, certainly for one, but hotels uh, kind of, you know, especially compared to short-term rentals, aren't usually as open. Did you find it difficult to convince them to work with you um, in the beginning? Yeah, of, of course. Yeah, um, it's always hard selling. The uh, selling into an industry that, you know, isn't it sort of known for not, you know, embracing new things. Um, we, though, uh, crafted everything to, to make it hard for them to say no. So it was really incremental revenue for them. That was one. Um, and then two is that, uh, we made it super simple. So again, we only asked for two pieces of information. The extra net when we launched it was, you know, two integers that we needed, um, two numbers that we needed every day. And we made the contract. Another thing we did is the contract used to, you know, from the big OTAs, pages and pages, 25 pages, you have to get your lawyers involved. We made our seven sentences. It basically just said, we're going to send you a reservation. You're going to pay us a cut. <laughs> do it. Right? Uh, and, uh, so they appreciated that. And so we just came in sort of the anti OTA in, in how we positioned ourselves there. That was appreciated. Um, and then we pitched, uh, this was back in the day when apps were really novel and, and extra cool. And there were all the commercials for, there's an app for that. And so we really pitched the exclusivity of that and said, we're only going to bring in a handful of hotels. We don't want the very best. And we picked you. And that resonated as well. And we were able to get just incredible hotel partners and very, very grateful for them taking a, taking a chance with us. Yeah. I was going to say, I also kind of in prep of this episode was listening to you talk about kind of the idea around hotel tonight and not only building it in 10 weeks and going through all the iterations and the, and being the first, you know, three official bookings, but you talk about simplicity and you mentioned it already a couple of times here with, you know, making it super easy to book three clicks, less than, you know, 10 seconds. Uh, where did you get the simplicity piece? Was it something that you just experienced in life that you're like, if I'm going to build something, I want it to be simple for myself, my team, the user, the client, all the above, or was this kind of learning from the two businesses that you had launched previously to hotel tonight? Yeah. You know, it, 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 it it's a good question because, um, it's something I've always gravitated towards. And, uh, I think that, uh, as I've talked to people, they say, well, Sam, you're very good at breaking down a problem and making it simple. Um, and maybe that's just because otherwise, uh, it's hard for me to grok and remember and, and process myself. So, you know, that, that's part of it. I think another part of it is, uh, my, my dad was an architect and a contemporary architect. And I, so I grew up with a lot of great design around me and the design was always very simple and clean lines and modern. And I think that that influenced me on the aesthetic, but also just in sort of business concepts and problem solving, breaking things down into very simple pieces. Um, and, you know, making products that are just simple and intuitive to use. And that's, that is the type of product I like. So, you know, you build for yourself and then you hope that the world likes what you like. Um, and sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Um, and, uh, but that's, I think that's where it ended up. Yeah. You, you mentioned kind of playing off that exclusivity for your first early partners on the hotel side. 
did that persist all the way through? I mean, I know you guys have some big box brands, but not really your your core target market. Uh, how did that transform from early days until you know mass adoption? Yeah, when we started, um, we wanted the exclusivity. We wanted you know this idea of curation and not looking through a, a huge, huge list and sorting and filtering. You know, we didn't think that that was the the best you know default experience on on mobile for sure. Um, and it was also out of necessity. I mean, we we had one person, two people, I guess, signing hotels, um, co-founder, and then we hired one person very shortly thereafter. But we didn't have a team to go sign a lot of hotels, so we said, all right. We're going to turn this weakness into a strength. We're going to take this thing that people could call limited selection and turn it into curation or make it something that's magical, that's helpful, that's useful. And that, um, that led to, you know, us launching with only three cities. And we, again, sort of said, Hey, this is the, you know, you're one of the first cities. And, and then we expanded from there. And then also, uh, the handful of hotels that we had, it also, um, focused the limited, very limited demand that we had at the time on a handful of hotels. Um, now the trick was that, uh, even with three hotels and then we expanded, I think to six hotels at a time, that wasn't enough in a major city for people to get the selection of location and price and amenities that they wanted. So we did expand over time and we expanded in, um, in a couple of different ways. We you know, just added more hotels and then in certain markets we had to add beyond independent hotels because in a not to pick on Memphis, but a town like Memphis, there's some great boutique hotels, but not 20 of them. And so we would sign those and then we would bring in and sort of backfill with some of the, the, the chain hotels and, and brands. Um, and, uh, and, and that seemed to work well. And then, you know, another example is the airport at airports, there's no boutique hotel. Um, and so it's important though, when somebody misses their flight, this isn't the primary use case for hotel tonight, though. It's a key use case. We want it to be there for people. And then we would have certainly some, some chain and branded hotels there. Yeah. I really like just kind of the scrappiness that you had, especially in the beginning. And I think that that's really kind of the fun part about being in a startup is that you use kind of maybe your you know weaknesses or your limitations to actually innovate and provide a better product. And then that ends up being a selling point. So I, I love that. And that really resonates with me and from the experience that I've had, and I'm sure with a lot of our listeners um, in this industry. And so my question kind of revolves around, um, you know, you at one point changed the booking window from seven days to a hundred, and that is kind of a shift in the identity or like the core focus in the company. So what was behind that, you know, that change and what was the attitude in the company? Like, were people receptive to that, that kind of change? Yeah, it, uh, it was all about listening to our customers. Um, and we had as a marketplace, there's two customers and one is guests and one are our hosts, uh, and our hotels rather, um, hosts from my Airbnb days. Um, and the, uh, and at the, the hotel side, they said, Hey, you know, you are great at selling our last minute inventory. And we we're very appreciative for that. You know, we also would like to sell more uh, of our advanced inventory, especially on certain softer days through you and build a book of business there and also sell more through you than we're selling through what was, what turned into a, a duopoly, um, during the time that from when we started hotel tonight to that point. Um, and so we said, okay, how can we do this? And then how can we do this for our customers? Or are they looking for this? And they were looking for this. There's times when last minute is the best way to go, uh, or the necessity. There's other times when 
want a little bit more space between the booking and the check-in. Um, and it could be when there's like, you know, more intense logistics. It could be when you need to send a package early on. It could be when you're with your family. It could be all these other reasons why you'd want to book in advance, a particular hotel that you absolutely need. And so we, uh, we built the plan around that. And um, it was a, I'd say a, a challenge internally uh, to give people comfort that, hey, well, our, our identity that we used to have, which was really constraining what we did, um, now is going to be you know, expanded on the tonight side. But what we do differently, the value, the speed, the convenience, um, the great support, you know, the way that we treat our hotel partners with the utmost respect, all of those are going to be the same. And this is going to give us a chance to reach more people and be more useful um, to our hotels and to our guests. And so that, but, and that messaging was something that we reiterated uh, pretty, you know, significantly uh, internally um, and regularly internally. Um, and then once we saw it start starting to work, um, then uh, the team felt very, very comfortable about it. I love that. And uh, I'm curious because you going back into the simplicity thing and working with brands and independent hotels, you made it the contract super simple. But when you moved into the bigger brands like Wynn and other name brands, did you have any pushback when it came to the the shift and change of one traveler behavior? Because I know like back in my hotel days, uh, when I was a hotel manager, I really remember implementing Hotel Tonight and kind of being like, okay, well, like I have X amount of inventory and I want to make sure that I'm getting the right guests and all this other stuff, right? As a brand, you're always super curious about and kind of like protective. Did you guys have a lot of pushback on that when it came to guests, you know, traveler avatar or anything like that in regards to uh, the bigger brands as you guys kind of move forward from independence? Uh, in terms of the bigger hotels, um, yeah, I think we... We worked a lot with the individual franchisees uh, and worked directly with them. Um, and they operated very much like an independent hotel. Their flag was, you know, the brand was different, um, but uh, that wasn't an issue. I think that, um, and then we worked uh, with the head offices. That, that just took a really long time um, to, to get through and to get through their, uh, their, their process. Um, so it wasn't so much pushback that, in, that we were doing anything inherently, you know, different. Um, we we brought a lot of, of thing of innovation and you know, we brought like a, an olive branch you know as an ota we said we'd love to you know how can we help um and so we came in with that not you know how can we get the best economics here um which others might might be sort of starting a negotiation with so uh so it was a, there were friendly conversations that i think the the challenge was that they just they took a long time versus like the, the pace that we were used to which is like you know let's sign the contract this afternoon and get you selling tomorrow morning. So call, call you every morning, ready to, <laughs> yeah, ready yeah, to go. Exactly. I love that. The, the old startup adage of do things that don't scale that, uh, you definitely got, <laughs> you guys took that to heart and I'm did you continue that on or did you end up having, oh, no, no, no. It, okay. it was just a roadmap thing. So, I mean, we had one developer and so once, yeah. uh, once we launched, then he started working on, you know, the ex extra decks yeah. and then it was like, I don't know, a month later, two months later, somewhere in that range. And I remember the co-founder Jared called our hotels and was like, Hey, great news. We have an extra net. And they're like, how did you do it before? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good, good question. He really, so, he didn't need to brag about having an extra. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> kind of a, a basic necessity, huh? Right. Right. Um, 
So let's fast forward a couple of years. You guys got acquired by Airbnb in 2019. What made sense that uh, that Airbnb was where you were going to place Hotel Tonight versus one of the more traditional OTAs? Because it, it, to me, as an outsider looking in, seems more akin to being owned by a booking or an Expedia versus an Airbnb. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think it, it was a, mostly a fit because strategically it made a lot of sense. Um, and in terms of what we were going to bring and what Airbnb needed, um, there's, they were the buyer. And so that had to be the, the most important thing. And you know, what we brought was a deep understanding of the boutique and independent hotel business, and also a, a good book of business there and, and a lot of relationships and contacts. And the idea uh, and the sort of thesis behind the deal was to build out that boutique hotel inventory within Airbnb um, to have a, you know, a, a supplement to the, the great short-term rentals. And this is when you have short-term rental operators, I'm, I'm sure you know, one-night stays are not, one-night last-minute stays, you're all shaking your heads, right? It's um, no, is, uh, you know, but so that's not a, as much of a fit for short-term rental operators. And it's not great economically, uh, on a value side for guests because of the turnover costs and the cleaning fees. So, but for, uh, an independent hotel, um, it, it's like, that's what they do. And that's what hotel tonight did. So being able to supplement on the booking window, on the locations, on the type of amenities, um, uh, and a, in a very complimentary way the short-term rental inventory um, made a lot of sense. And as, especially as boutique hotels came and were influenced by the best short-term rentals um, and vacation rentals with like, better amenities and cooler, funkier vibes and great places like the Hoxton um, that feel like you're almost staying in you know, somewhere that's it's got a real sense of place. Um, that Hoxton and, and shortage in London doesn't look like anywhere else in the world. Um, can't say that about some of the great branded hotels, for example. Um, so it, it ended up being, you know, a fitness, a great strategy for growing, um, Airbnb. And so we were, um, then running the hotel vertical, uh, within Airbnb. So just getting back to why, um, you can talk about what happened, but the why is that, you know, that made sense. It was a great opportunity for me and the team to um, run a division of hotels versus, uh, within a large travel company versus being a, a division of hotels within, of, of many hotel divisions, uh, within a larger, larger OTA. Um, and then, uh, based in San Francisco, culturally very, very similar, um, offices just, you know, really close. And then I'd known, uh, Brian actually said before hotel tonight, and he was part of the inspiration for hotel tonight, actually. And so we stayed in touch and I had deep respect for him and, uh, his co-founders and the executive team there. Um, so I was looking forward to working with them and all of those made, uh, made it really make sense. Yeah. When, um, that happened, we were so excited as an operator, our, you know, as an urban operator, our product is very much like a part hotel, you know, style. And so we were so excited. We tried to put everything on hotel tonight. And it really just didn't work like with our model. We really tried so hard, but that was something we were really excited about because, you know, part of the conversation that we've been having in the industry is this blending of hotels and STR and there's all the lines are getting blurry. So, um, you know, it's definitely something maybe we'll try again now that we have our, you know, kind of a different setup in some of our buildings. But we were so excited when we saw that as like just a kind of a new and interesting way to reach, you know, new customers. Mm -hmm. 
I'm I'm very curious because what was what was it like meeting Brian before Hotel Tonight and then kind of creating this business and the relationship that you got to form with him pre you know entrepreneurial phase to then you know hey I'm maybe ready to sell or whatever the the type of conversation you guys may have had uh maybe just for the sake of the listeners and for us what was your relationship like with Brian and how was it working with him and all that fun stuff yeah and uh just we met um I reached out to him when it was just getting started it was you know just a couple hundred listings probably maybe a thousand listings um and uh, we got coffee and, you know, he shared his vision. I was running this other company and was talking about, um, called deal base, which is, was you know, less successful than, uh, than Airbnb ended up being or hotel tonight. Um, and, uh, then I went and visited the Ralph street apartment and I just, the energy there, the creativity, the sense of that uh, we're going to change the world. It was just palpable. It was, it was really amazing. I was blown away. Um. And it act, then I was like, all right, I looked at this deal-based company that I was running, which was profitable and, you know, spitting all cash and doing some good thing, but wasn't uh, changing the world, wasn't exciting, wasn't bringing something to the world that people love. And I said, I want to do something like that. Um, and that led to me thinking about a bunch of different things that then, and one of those was Hotel Tonight. Um, so it was really like a little bit of a kick in the butt, you know, or an inspiration. Um, from that team and, and from Brian, uh, that led to, to me, you know, then doing, uh, and, and the team doing hotel tonight. So, um, the, uh, then we stayed in touch. I mean, we're, I, I did a lot of, I did art in, in high school. I'm not, I, Brian's an incredible artist. Um, but, uh, but I still, you know, do some painting and drawing. And, um, so we're both cut from the same cloth there of, you know, design oriented product first CEOs and. Uh, so we had a lot in common. We'd always enjoyed talking to each other, caught up every few years. Um, and then, you know, it was, we talked about working together, you know, off and on through that entire cycle. And then, uh, when we started thinking about combining in 2019, it just made a lot of sense then from the timing was right. So piggybacking on that, it's, it's probably not too controversial to say that hotel tonight acquisition by Airbnb was their most successful acquisition they've they've made uh they had made a lot of acquisitions in the past and you know, some had gotten folded up during covid some got folded up pre-covid uh, but with you and the legacy of hotel tonight one how does it how does it make you feel that you guys were probably if not the best had to be top two acquisitions that airbnb's ever made uh, and then how do you feel about that legacy being carried on inside of Airbnb? All right. So you're trying to grow your portfolio and your property management business, but sometimes owners don't have the best peace of mind when it comes to giving up the keys to their home to an unknown brand or company. And of course, let's be honest. Sometimes we hear the horror stories of guests and the bad guests that stay in vacation rentals and throw parties. Well, safely as you covered, because not only do they screen your guests that are staying, but they also ensure that you are covered from all things such as ill intent, stupidity, aka vacation brain, and other things like pet damage and theft. While doing that, you are able to partner with Vintory and grow your portfolio with their marketing platform that helps ensure that you are attracting the right owners to your rental program and growing your business in the destination that you are in, or if you're in multiple destinations, that works too. 
So get the links in the show notes because both companies have special offers. If you don't use a link, but you end up talking to them, guess what? Just tell them that Will Slicker sent you from Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast, and they'll get you covered. And you can also let them know that maybe you've heard of them on our platform, hospitality.fm. So of course, like always, make sure you grab the links in the show notes. And thank you guys so much for tuning in to another episode of Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast. Now back to the episode. Um, well, I was a part of the other acquisitions, but I, I do think that one of the things that, that made um, the Hotel Tonight acquisition uh, successful is that we did a lot of diligence ahead of time um, on, on both sides. Um, so, and then that led to a, a really strong integration plan. Um, and I'd say that's the advice I'd give to anyone that's looking to, to merge or you know, combine with another company is like, make sure it's really, really thought out. Like we are down to like, this person's going to do this role and we don't have this. So this is how we're going to solve for that. And we thought all of this through, not just like really high level, oh, we're going to build the hotel category. Like it was a lot of detail that made, and it all made sense. And when we had a question, we'd solve it. Of course, we couldn't solve everything, but uh, we went with a very clear action plan and, and resources um, identified. And that's hard to do because you're also trying to close the deal um, and you're trying to keep everything pointed in the right direction. So that said, I, I think that was one of the things that, that made the, the deal successful. I think that then, you know, we were executing very well and the team was, was really just jamming. And then COVID hit nine months in and we had to pause that initiative. Um, and the, um, the, then the team, you know, a lot of kudos to the hotel tonight team. They said, Hey, what do you need? What do we need? What, how can we help? Um, what does Airbnb need? And so we all started focusing on the other parts of Airbnb that where we could be helpful. Um, so that could have been revenue management or, you know, operation account operations for enterprise accounts is where a lot of the, the team ended up lending a hand. Um, and meanwhile, we kept hotel tonight running and still, still is running and I'm using it next week. Um, and, uh, and it's, uh, it's. I don't know. I used it maybe six, six months ago. Um, uh, I've used it between them, but it was, I hadn't used it for a while. And then I used it six months ago and I was like, wow, that was really easy. This is still really good. So, you know, kudos to the engineering team that for what they built, um, and the resilience of that, uh, the, the, the product and the engineering behind it to continue to deliver a great experience. And then the team that's continuing to run it and um, you know, add more integrations and, and add more hotels. Yeah. It's nice to see that your, you know, your legacy, your baby is still being looked after well. Um, and you know, hotel tonight in this merger has been, um, you know, obviously a great success story, but looking back at your career, I think some of the most interesting things happen with failures or mistakes. Is there anything that comes to mind with like big lessons that you learned that kind of changed the course of either the company or your career? Yeah, I mean, I don't think we have enough time to go over all the mistakes <laughs> that I made, but um, yeah, just one. The the most instrumental, like, difficult time at at hotel tonight, um, uh, was uh the the time where we had to do a layoff. So this is when we got to uh, running out of running out of cash. Our burn was really high, and we had to make some pretty dramatic changes, and um, had to really focus the team from a growth mode and a growth mindset um, at growth at any cost, uh, to, Hey, we've got to be profitable here. We've got to grow responsibly and get to profitability. And so the, um, we had to 
do a bunch of different things, um, including um, a set of layoffs. And that was very, very difficult. We had to say goodbye to some really great people. And it was, it really was my fault that we had gotten into that situation and that we had to do that. Um, and there's no other way to, to look at it. So I, but I took responsibility um, and I continue to, and I, um, uh, we had to do what was right for the, the company and our customers and the rest of the employees. Um, and then refocusing, turning that really difficult time into a catalyzing event to say, hey, we're going to honor the people that we have to say goodbye to by executing incredibly well right now, getting to profitability, growing faster than we've grown before. And the team just, you know, came, you know, showed up and, and really rose to the occasion and um, that they, the execution that then happened over the next six months where we got to profitability was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. It, it's almost as good as that first 10 weeks, um, but there was a ton of creativity. There was a ton of focus. It was very clarifying to say, we're going to focus on profitability now. He would have a good idea. I was like, well, what's the EBITDA? What's the profitability characteristic of that? Yeah, and, I find uh, that those, you know, it, was, those... It, was just, it was just it was amazing, an amazing time and kudos to the, the team for what they did. Yeah, those really I find that those really difficult decisions, you know, choosing to lay off a big portion of the company, you it makes you never want to make those mistakes again and have to go through it like the pain point is very high. So I think that that's also like a big motivator of like, OK, how did we get in this situation and, you know, what can we do to at all costs to avoid this uh, going down the road? Yeah. And I think that as a, um, you know, a leader, you can do one layoff, um, and explain that. And then, you know, what were we going to do to, to get to a place where we're going to be ongoing successful? Then, uh, if you do another layoff though, um, then people start looking for other jobs and yeah. trust is really lost. So we worked very hard to make sure that that was a one-time event. Um, and we had what we needed to get to, to, uh, profitability. Yeah, that's, that's incredibly challenging, especially profitability when raising capital or taking capital from investors. And you've seen this industry is very entrepreneurial and a lot of people, maybe not even in this industry, but anyone that hears that you're an entrepreneur, that you built a business thinks it's very linear, right? Like, okay, we started this company two to three, however many years later, right? There's either very profitable and cash flowing, or they get acquired for a big chunk of change. Can you maybe for just a lot, of, again, I know a lot of our listeners who are tuning in now and listening to the episode are, are entrepreneurs or CEOs and have to make the hard decisions. If you could describe entrepreneurship in your own definition and term, how would you describe that? Oh, I mean, it's a ton of, ton of ups and downs and it's like, it's, it's not just month to month, it's day to day, it's hour to hour um, that you're getting good news, then bad news, then, you know, something Something changes in a, a positive direction, but then you learn that it wasn't as positive as you thought. I mean, it is, it is a roller coaster ride. You, you all know all of this and, um, and that, you know, that said, it's what I loved about running the company was the change in elevation and the change, uh, the, that excitement as well. So sometimes I would be doing, you know, big press things or, you know, be recruiting somebody uh, for the executive team. And other times I'd be you know, dealing with uh, HR crisis or dealing with, um, you know, facility issue, you know, and, or, you know, just, you know, helping out on copy for a press release. So I love that, uh, change in elevation all the time, going from strategy to detailed execution and back and forth. And that's throughout the day. 
Um, and so that's another part of, of, um, entrepreneurship that I think is, you know, for me, it was fulfilling and, uh, and others are going to find, you know, that that's the case. And I think when you see, you know, some of the iconic entrepreneurs, you think, oh, well, you know, they are just doing really high level thinking and pointing fingers and like, yes, somebody comes in and they say, yes, ship it. And it's, it is a, a lot more grinding details out. It is long meetings. It is suffering the details. Um, and, uh, that also is what makes it fun, you know, is to have that chance, um, and have that privilege to bring something great to customers. And why I like online travel and, and the travel industry is that you're helping people have the best week of their year, or maybe the week of their life. And it's a privilege to be able to do that. It's also a lot of hard work and commitment that you need to make, that I need to make as an entrepreneur to make sure that that is as good as it possibly can be. So I loved that. I mean, the, the roller coaster ride as a, a startup founder is very, very real and it, and it moves so fast too. But in terms of the, the pinnacle heights, can you describe what the IPO day at Airbnb was like? I've heard some fantastic stories of Airbnb employees, whether they were still currently there or, you know, had left previously, but can you share what the buzz was like inside the building? Yeah, well, it was, it was empty at the time, um, <laughs> because of COVID. Um, but I mean, talk about a roller coaster year and I mean, this is all kudos to Brian and the executive team. Um, but we were, you know, I, it's pretty well known that you know, the business was bleeding a lot of cash, uh, during COVID and, uh, had to raise emergency finance saying it wasn't clear what was going to happen. Um, and then to turn the business around an IPO by the end of the year and have the biggest tech IPO of the year, like that's an incredible rebound. Talk about a roller coaster ride. I mean, that's like, you know, going to the moon and back. So, um, what Brian went through and what the executive team went through, um, it, it is really impressive what, what they were able to do. Um, I think the mood on, on, you know, Slack was of course, you know, fantastic and exciting. And, um, I, um, uh, I felt just, you know, very, I was very happy for the team and for our investors, um, who had trusted in me and trusted, uh, in, you know, our decision to, to sell to Airbnb and, uh, you know, known that it was part for stock, um, so a lot of it was betting on the future of Airbnb. And I made a very like strong case that I thought that the short-term rental industry was bigger than people were giving credit uh, to, and that Airbnb was, well, you know, some people thought fully valued, I thought was undervalued. Um, so yeah, it, it was very gratifying for me that, you know, investors were able to, um, get the returns that they were able to, because they had trusted in me and the team along the way. Um, so being able to you know, see them be rewarded for that bet, um, uh, was, was very, you know, that, that made me the happiest. Yeah. I was listening to an interview with Brian and about that day and he was like, it was just on zoom and then it was over. And he, I like how anticlimactic, like it's usually this big day where you get to ring the bell. And I just, that must've been kind of a surreal experience to just be on a zoom call and then you're a public company. Yeah. So uh, it was actually like the last conversation I had with Brian before, uh, we sold, I was like, Hey, we want to talk to a number of things. And I said, Hey, one last thing is when the IPO happens, I just want to be in New York with you all. And I want to, you know, even if I'm not on the executive team, I just want to be here for it. Um, and be, uh, you know, in New York and, and around it. And he said, yeah, sure. Okay. Let's do that. 
And of course then, you know, it didn't happen. So I'm still, still waiting for the, the, uh, IPO day for something I'm doing. So that'll ring the bell later. Yeah. This item is, it remains unchecked. (laughs) I love it. Well, I, I'm curious, you know, we, we got introduced through the one and only Steve Davis over at Operto. I have to give him the plug and a shameless shout out for one being probably our most repeated guest that we've had on the podcast. Uh, he, he definitely gets his spotlight, but well-deserved because I think he's, he's awesome. He's super forward thinking. And I, I love what they're building with Operto as a, as a customer of Operto as well. Um, but I'm curious, what made you join the advisory board or not even the advisory board, this, the board of Operto? Um, how did that all come about and what made you want to, after going through such a, again, roller coaster ride of being a founder, then through Airbnb's IPO, what made you want to dabble back into the industry a little bit more? Well, I, I love the industry and I um, want to stay connected to the industry. And this was one way to do it um, you know, without starting a, a company again. Um, and I, I actually do, you know, a fair amount of sort of informal advising, um, some, you know, formal advising too, and fair amount of angel investing. And I just love being around other entrepreneurs and sharing whatever wisdom I can and supporting them and encouraging them. And so that, that area of, um, you know, for me is, you know, then allows me then to, to stay t- in touch with travel. So, um, and I met, uh, Operto through, uh, through Darren Houston. Um, uh, we'd known each other when he was at booking and we were, you know, frenemies a bit. All right. Uh, and now it's nice to be on the same side of the table. Um, and I went up there, I was really impressed with the, the team and the vision and the execution, um, for, you know, all of the things that happen after the booking through the end of the stay. I mean, there's so much room there for innovation. And then, um, and I, I think that I, I heard in another, uh, one of your podcasts that, uh, you, uh, that the, the short-term rental industry is innovated much more than the hotel industry, which is, I think, very true, um, in terms of automation, in terms of of providing, um, technology solutions to help scale as well as provide, deliver a magical solution. We, we tried some of this at hotel tonight, actually, we had a, um, an express check-in product, uh, that hotels loved. It didn't scale very well. When we did the layoffs, we had to stop that and that whole area of innovation, uh, within hotel tonight, but I've thought about it for a long time and I've, you know, continued to wonder why. Um, some of the things that are now pretty standard within short-term rentals are not available within hotels, but also then just within short-term rentals, there's so much more that can be done. Um, and, uh, and Operto is a, a company that's really like leading the way there and, and it's, uh, just been a blast to work with them. Yeah. You, you actually, in a 2016 interview, I think it was with the Recode Decode, you actually described the Operto business as some, some avenue of, um, of shakeup that needed to happen in the space. So it was cool to see how that came full circle and got you, uh, over with our, our dear friends, uh, with Steve and, and team over at Operto. Yeah. Last time I was in Vancouver, I, um, used, uh, their product that the, um, the hotel I was staying at for the QS entry for just using the phone to, to open the door and, and access the elevators. It was, it was magical and like to not have to worry about carrying a key around, um, it sounds like a minor thing, but once you start doing it, it's like, why do I, it's like car keys. It's like, it'd be much better not to have to carry around car keys. Just one less thing to think of. And, um, and I, it, it's not too far away that nobody's going to have wallets anymore and it's all going to be on the phone. So 
this is one more thing that, you know, gets replaced. And it's, um, that's one, one of the, um, many things that Oberto does. Um, but, and that one really resonated with me as a, a coach. Well, I was going to say <clears throat> from the hotel world, again, probably not the most tech forward until companies like Oberto and kind of the whole ecosystem, I think has kind of built around what Airbnb has done in short-term rentals and all this other stuff. But, you know, you're, we've mentioned a couple times on this podcast, we've listened to other shows that you've been on. We've been doing our research to make sure like we knew how to frame a lot of these questions and kind of come in well-educated and you get to be on stage a lot more than probably what most people would do in their entrepreneurial career and journey and all the above. So I'm curious, what's one thing that you're really excited about in the sense of what's next in hospitality and then kind of maybe a topic that you don't get to talk about enough? Uh, or that you're really passionate and excited about uh, within the industry that you would love to maybe share the last few minutes of on, on this episode. Well, I don't get to talk about much anymore. Um, so I'm, I'm just happy to be on here and talking with you all. Um, and <laughs> the, um, but you know, something that I, I've been thinking about for a long time and that I'm thinking about, you know, how to, what are the entrepreneurial avenues around it is the, the coming change uh, that is going up uh, the second order changes that are going to be brought on by autonomous vehicle fleets, self-driving cars, and then also even autonomous drones for taking people around it. It, it sounds very far-fetched. There's a lot of like people that are saying it's not going to happen that soon. Um, I, you know, the, the self-driving within Tesla and the beta, um, I mess around with it and my car and it is getting better and better and uh, remarkably better, um, over like the past few uh, months and years. And the, um, I'm also, uh, uh, involved with this company called Lyft Aircraft, which is in, um, uh, Austin, Texas. And they, they have flying drones that carry people around. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's happening now. So all right, play that out a few years, you know, it's going to be, you know, less than 20, maybe more than three, more than five. I don't know, but what are the implications of that for how cities are designed, how real estate, um, uh, is organized and, uh, how people access, uh, their homes and, you know, entertainment. And then also what, what are the implications for the travel industry? Um, so you have a situation, for example, where, you know, you could have a city center and then a, a great vacation destination that because of a mountain pass, it takes, uh, six hours to drive to, um, but in, you know, with a, a drone, you know, with line of sight, it might take 15 minutes. Um, so. Does that all of a sudden change, you know, the way people vacation? Does that change the way people enter, are entertained? Do they you know, go there every night? Do they go there on weekends? Do they go there for weekend getaways? Um, uh, and, uh, it opens up the opportunity for, you know, um, you know, more remote type of, of play system suddenly became, become mainstream. So I think real estate values could change pretty remarkably. Um, and you know, the types of, of trips we do. Uh, could be way more frequent and may more, way more exotic um, because of the lowered cost of transportation, lowered cost in terms of dollars and also in, in terms of time. Yeah, I, I love that idea that there's all going to be all these kind of butterfly knock-on effects of, you know, in the travel industry and beyond and kind of reshaping how we build our cities and our communities. I love that. And I also just love the excitement. Like, I think that's one of my favorite parts about our industry is that everyone we talk to, yourself included, obviously, just gets so excited about all the possibilities. And I think that's one of the things that I know we all love about being in this industry is that 
there's innovation, there's excitement, there's a lot of passion, and there's so much room for improvement um, you know, as we move forward. So it's great to hear your story and how that you're still excited about this industry, even after being in it for so long. I love this industry. And um, also as a, a customer, I'm going to be a big customer for a long time. So um, it is a great industry and it's been just a real privilege to be part of it. And, um, and uh, yeah, to, thanks for having me share share what I know um, within it. So one, one last question, and this is a yes or no, but have you been on that flying drone before? Not yet, but um, planning a trip. Okay. That's very so they cool. are actually taking humans, test pilots, I guess. <laughs> they're taking, I, uh, I don't know the exact status of it, but they're taking customers and they, they fly over a lake because the FAA rules are different for flying over, over water. Um, and uh, the, the idea is that it's sort of for corporate outings or uh, bachelor parties that you can take a group up and then you have these sort of competitive races, you know, um, and you get to, to fly around a course. Um, That's not amazing. And, uh, and it sounds like a blast. So yeah, yeah. maybe we can do a, a GMH, you know, corporate retreat there. Live from a drone. <laughs> Come Live from in. a drone. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, awesome. Sam, really appreciate you taking the time today. Um, lot covered a lot, and I know you know the uh, the ten year overnight success. Uh, it's it's funny how people think it, it all happens so fast, but you know there's the roller coaster ride, like you mentioned. You know we're we're all on it. We all see it day to day. Um, you know there there's light at the end of the tunnel with with folks like you who've had fantastic paths and journeys that, that we can all kind of mirror and mimic. So thanks again for, for joining us and sharing some knowledge. Yeah, it's great been great. Here. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, for all of our listeners, sorry, we didn't get to any questions, but again, a good excuse to reach out to Sam to have him on in the future. Uh, Sam, again, thank you so much. And for everyone tuning in, we'll see you guys again next week. Thank you so much for listening and thank you to our show partners for making Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast possible. We hope you enjoyed the show and we would love to connect with you outside of the podcast. So you can follow us on all of our social media channels for daily hospitality content or find us on slicktalkthepodcast.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. I'm your host, Will Slickers, and we will see you guys all again next week. 